Hello, Tune In listeners. I am your host, Keila Parkinson of Tune In, radio for your mind, body, and soul. And you are listening to 103.1 FM WVLP in Valparaiso, where we are talking today, as every day, about mindfulness. Mindfulness in our everyday lives, mindfulness in ways that we can be more present, mindfulness in ways we can be more resourceful, especially as we move into now 2021 and whatever the heck it holds. (laughs) So today to talk about mindfulness in 2021, because this is January 2021 as we're recording this episode, we are talking with Corinne Marquell of Southwest Montessori Academy. Hi, Corinne. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on here. (laughs) Such a pleasure to have you. And so Southwest Montessori Academy, obviously this is a school for children. Some people probably have heard the word Montessori, the phrase Montessori school. We're going to be talking about what that is and about how mindfulness is built into the curriculum implicitly based on Maria Montessori. And we'll be talking about ways you as an administrator, a teacher, and a parent use this how you did it in 2020 during this pandemic time, because we don't know what's on the horizon, right? And um, and all the things, <laughs> how does that sound today? Yes, that sounds great. <laughs> that sounds great. Good. Excellent. So I'm so glad you're here, and I'm so glad to talk about this. And I, I've, been, I've been debating whether or not to say this out of the gate or whether to just say it later, but I am going to just uh, reveal that, yes, Corinne is my sister. So <laughs> we have a Corinne and a yeah. Keila today, and this is why. <laughs> Strange K names. Strange K names. <laughs> they may not sound th- that strange, but then when you see how they're spelled, they're super weird, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so strange K names aside, um, let's talk for a second about, first of all, just what is Montessori? So Montessori education is about uh, following each child's unique abilities and interests and meeting them where they are when you help them to develop academic skills. And not just academics, but also social emotional. So mm-hmm. the uh, Maria Montessori, of course, is the uh, namesake for Montessori education. And she was an Italian educator and scientist in the early 1900s in Italy. Well, in Italy. Uh, obviously, if she's Italian. But um, <laughs> so she uh, wanted to actually, um, you know, become a physician. And then she found her way back to education. And so the Montessori method is it, it applies uh, the scientific method in observing children and finding out what lesson they're ready for next. So every child's educational experience is unique, and it's based on um, you know, a foundation of skills that are developed over the course of a three-year cycle. So in Montessori classrooms, you have children in a three-year age span. So the school Southwest Montessori Academy is for preschool through kindergarten, so it's children ages three to six. And then um, and even in Montessori classrooms in elementary and um, as the children get older, they are you know always in a, in a three-year cycle. So... Um, Yes, that's what Montessori education is in a nutshell. <laughs> and I think that a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh, that sounds good, but what does it all mean, right? And I, and I, we talk about this a lot that it's a, like anything, it's a discipline and it's a system and it also is open to interpretation, which is really interesting. But hey, that's kind of like mindfulness, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> well, when you say it's open to interpretation, mm. it's interesting because the name Montessori is not trademarked. Mm. So if anyone can put the name Montessori on their building, and say, yes, we're a Montessori school, uh, but there, there is work being done, um, you know, in the state of Indiana and, of course, nationwide to show what a quality, full, implemented, high-fidelity Montessori school is. So, Love you that. know, sometimes we, in the field, we use the word Monta something. Sometimes. <laughs> That's great. Fired by Montessori, and so they yes. that means that they have materials on shelf. Yes. It doesn't really mean that they're applying all of the philosophies <laughs> and the um, you know, the techniques and all of that to make it a true fully implemented Montessori school. I and like that. Are, Go ahead. 
I'm gonna say there's the American Monastery Society mm. and the Association Monastery International. That is, um, you know, the the two primary, and there are other ones as well. But those are the two primary, um, I guess you would say, governing bodies. To, right. You know, not, you know, it's organizations. They certify, that, they teach, they train, right? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that makes right. sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Governing bodies works. Um, <clears throat> and I'm also going to say to listeners that Corinne and I may start talking really quickly. She referenced it yesterday as sister mode. We were prepping. She's like, what if we get into sister mode and nobody can keep up? Even our husbands can't keep up when we go into sister mode. So we're going to try and, and pace ourselves and catch okay. ourselves. We're fast talkers and big talkers. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna do our best here. So um, I love that phrase "mana something." Though I want to say that um, I think that's hilarious because I'm gonna start calling our homeschool that. Many times I've referenced to the listeners that I homeschool now, like straight up legit homeschool, like not just e-learning. Like I'm teaching these kiddos ostensibly, right? And so, um, and we're Montessori inspired for sure. So we're we're something homeschool. <laughs> you and you're doing a wonderful job of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I, I, um, I, I do have my advisory board of both of my sisters who are pro homeschoolers. One's a pro homeschooler. One's a Montessori um, educator. So that's, thank God I couldn't do, couldn't do it without you two. So, um, then, uh, going, going back to the concept of mindfulness with Montessori, um, I want to say that, um, or I want to ask you rather to tell us about, um, what are some, cause you know, there are like certain categories, right? There's, we know that there's like, uh, there's math, there's science, there's, you know, the three R's, right? There's the, kind of yes. for education, right? Um, and we've now, um, most schools at, since 2020 are adding in like, you know, um, what do you call it? Uh, social racial, emotional. yeah, social emotional is one thing, right? And then there's, uh, like, uh, yeah, anti-racism, right? All these kinds of, you know, in addition to history, geography, whatever, right? But Montessori has these, what, five basic categories that all these lessons are taught through. So each one kind of like touches on these five do you want to tell the people what the five the five are am i right okay. like the areas of the classroom like practical life yes i do mm-hmm. yes. so the areas of the classroom um practical life sensorial math language and what people usually call an umbrella of cultural right so practical life is learning everyday skills um how to take care of yourself how to take care of your environment um you know it might be learning how to comb your hair it might be learning just to pour something so children use real glass they um, they can even learn how to use a potato peeler. And you're um, talking about toddlers and preschoolers initially, preschool, right? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, children can learn how to use an apple slicer. Um, you know, these are everyday skills that they see adults doing in their life. And of course, it, you know, self-care as such as um, dressing. They, you know, there's dressing frames. They can learn how to tie shoes or use a zipper or yes. understand how a button you know, works um, in isolation of, you know, your actual clothing item. So, um, and practical life is, you know, includes art, you know, as a kind of a subcategory of that. But uh, sensorial is something that is completely unique to Montessori education. Mm-hmm. It helps develops it develops not only the senses, but it also develops vocabulary, and it's a pre-math area. So, uh, the vocabulary of in, in um, kinesthetically, mm-hmm. so children are not just learning what is long, what is what is short, but they can feel it in their bodies, and they can describe in their mind's eye. You know, and understand even geometric solids, um, you know, right. advanced geometric shapes such as polygons, even at the kindergarten, even, you know, as a three-year-old. If they can because learn, they have these physical objects that are those shapes they manipulate, right? right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if a child can identify a cat versus a dog, they can identify a sphere versus a cube. Right. They use the actual terms for that. So, um, you know, vocabulary is a huge part of sensorial and it's pre-math because those materials are, um, a, you know, kind of a base 10 foundation and 
um, they incre you know increase in incrementally in size. So then of course um, math and the materials are all concrete. They're hands on. Mm -hmm. Again, I use that kinesthetic word, which is you can feel it in your body and in your mind's eye. So you can describe what something is because you've held, felt it, felt it, and held it before. Um, and it's not just yeah. this actual concept. Right. So it's not just worksheets every day. Right. right. So children can learn how to, um, you know, identify one unit, 110, 100, 1,000, mm. even at three years old. Yeah, so okay. That yeah. Talk about that for a second, like the beads yeah. and the rods and all that, because those are manipulatives of these physical numbers and seeing how they compare. Right. Yeah. Right. And at the uh, three to six age group, it's not about memorizing math facts. Excuse me. Hold on a moment. I have some background noise. Um, <laughs> not just about memorizing math facts. It's about understanding numeration and um, being able to, um, you know, build on all these concepts before they have to go into that skill of memorizing um, yeah, you know, counting on being able to skip count. Children learn about multiplication facts before they even know what multiplication is. Mm -hmm. When they use the bead cabinet, um, you know, and Maria Montessori designed a lot of the math materials, you know, over a hundred years ago, and they still apply. They do, um, don't they? Right, and she she actually did because she took a scientific approach. Um, a lot of her work has been validated. Um, through brain research. Today. Yes, right. That's one of the things that I love about it is it really matches and there is that whole, so my two, one of my two favorite things about Montessori, right, are that there is that sensorial component that, you know, so many, my kiddos especially, and I myself, we are immersive learners. We need to be in there doing it, learning it, you know, it's kind of that concept of like show a man to fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime, right? And it's like, how do you teach somebody to fish? Not by sitting there and doing it and being like, okay, now you try. You say, okay, here, this is how you cast your pull. Keep practicing, keep practicing, right? And you like have them actually do it and try, right? So I love that immersive component of the sensorial where things are manipulative, where you're like really using real things. And I love the practical life because how many times have you heard parents say like well they don't teach you that in school well they don't teach you that and it's like well, well depends on what school you're going to right or how you're and I want to say too that like you know your kiddos can be in any school and you can still do mana something at home <laughs> right <laughs> yeah right. so thinking about um you were talking about uh you know how you involve children in the learning process so there's something and I was kind of as we were talking about the different curricular areas, I didn't I kind of stopped at math, but mm, right. um, that's right. Language, one of the ways that children learn um, their letter sounds is through a three period lesson. And so a three period lesson is something um, I'm sure that other schools, you know, use the same concept, but it's fine. Don't worry. We've got, we've got a cat in the background because this is zoom life, right? We are recording, <laughs> we're recording by zoom. <laughs> she wants to climb into the uh, curtain right now and they're more noisy. Yeah. So, um, so a three period lesson, it, it really, it takes the premise that all children, you know, people, as you're learning anything new, whether it's children or adults, you're in this first period of just taking the information in. So for those who are new to Montessori, uh, new to understanding mindfulness, you know, as, as Keila talks about here, um, the first period is just, you're just taking it in and you're hearing it. You're, you're becoming aware of it. If someone asks you, it, you know, after hearing me talk about Montessori, I'm sure if someone asks you, what is Montessori education? You're, eh, I, <laughs> can't quite describe it. It's a lot I, of I, big I, words that I, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it made sense to me, but now yeah, I can't. Right. You. So when children are in a first period of learning, they're just taking it in. And mm. really children um, birth through age six are really in, in first period for a lot of things. Um, but children acquire language very naturally. And so when you get into that second period, 
So parents often make a mistake when they're teaching their children colors. They'll say, oh, this is red, this is blue. And then they go, what color is this? Yeah. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So the second period is they really have the understanding, but they can't quite yet articulate it. So toddlers are there with language. Toddlers really understand a lot of what you're Mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. They just can't communicate it back to you because they're still in that second period of understanding. So, you know, communicating with a toddler is great until you're trying to figure out what they need. Uh, (laughs) But that third period is now they can understand it and they can explain it to you. So when we get to, you know, learning letter sounds, for example, the first period is we're teaching them that sound. And then eventually we can go back and say, you know, what, which sound is the A, which sound is the B, Mm -hmm. or which, you know, when it comes to learning colors, what, which one is yellow, which one is blue. But that third period is you can point to it and say, what is this? Right. Yes. Think about the three-year Montessori cycle. You have younger three-year-olds who are coming in and they're in that first period for everything. That second period, they're now demonstrating how to use the materials and how to, you know, working with certain concepts with those younger children, but they're also still watching the older children. And when they get to that age of being that older, you know, in that older group in the classroom, those six, five and six-year-olds, they are now articulating and teaching the younger children, and they are the leaders of the classroom. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really the three-period, um, you know, level of understanding can apply in so many ways. But um, so just to kind of finish up about um, language, obviously we use a phonics system in language. And so, um, and children learn to read anywhere between ages three to seven. So parents often think, oh, why is my child not reading? Yes, they're five. They need to read now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Child, the first thing they want, you know, at three years yeah. old, okay, teach my child how to read. Right. That's right. They might read at three, but right. they might not read until they're five or six. And so we meet each child where they are. And it's not about um, every child doing the same thing at the same time. Uh, and lastly, the cultural area is not just, um, you know, it's cultural to where we are, but cultures of the world as well. Mm-hmm. So it's. Um, and they start with the whole and kind of work their way down to the part. And we get to you know understanding physical geography, cultural geography, science, um, time, history, those kinds of things all fall under that cultural umbrella. So there. That makes sense. <laughs> I know that's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I love that. And I think, um, you know, and then um, what I also like is that the lessons can all talk to each other, right? That you can be like, okay, so, you know, here we are and we're studying um, language, right? And so then a lot of our books on our shelves are going to be about this, um, you know, or we're studying like maybe, you know, certain geography, right? And so, or, you know, a type of holiday that may relate to like, you know, this type of, this area in ge- geography. And so a lot of the books on our shelves are going to talk to this and everything. And I think, again, that that happens in a lot of places where education is, but in Montessori, it's super intentional. And um, I think what, what the way I described the parents sometimes is that the cultural area of the classroom is sort of the springboard Mm. for all the other areas of the classroom so you know everything in our science is related to each other right we talk about um you know children learn living and non-living plant and animal um you know vertebrate invertebrate and they go through and they learn the different parts and the names and then we when you look at physical geography you know we have we live on earth but we're not the only earth in our solar or planet in our solar system you know, and what different parts, like what is land, what is air, what is water, what are the things that living things need to survive, right? So that goes back to the living and non-living. Yeah. And then you say, well, every land has its own name. And then you have, you know, all oh, these are the different continents. So they learn continents and then they learn countries. And then they learn, well, what animals live in which continents? Yes. Because that's different. Uh, you know, what is the biome of that area? Right. So weather and time and history and people who lived in there and the language that goes in there. And so children learn writing, yeah. 
and, you know, uh, being able to um, communicate. And, and there's just so many things that get wrapped up just on the cultural, um, you know, umbrella here that, that you can spring forth and learn math and science mm-hmm. and, right. and language and, you know, being able to feel, you know, the sensorial feeling of fur, feathers, and scales. Yes. And things. So it's- yes. And I, I like how we class, like, so, you know, we have classification and it's such a huge right. thing. And I really didn't learn it until high school. Right. And it was just like, oh, right. here's classification. And I just was like, oh, oh, I'll never learn this. And I'm learning as I'm teaching my kiddos. I'm like, oh, what a simple thing to just first break it down into living and non-living. Right. And then once right. they've mastered that, then it's like, and plants and animals. And then like, and then you can classify those a little further. And it's like, I just love how she just simplifies it in this way. And our brains grow and develop in this way. So I think that's really, really cool. Listeners, you are listening to Tune In Radio for Your Mind, Body, and Soul. I am your host, Keila Parkinson, and you may be listening to us on anchor.fm slash tune in mindful radio, or you may be hearing us streaming at WVLP.org or right on the radio waves at WVLP 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, Indiana. Today's show is underwritten in part by Kiki Productions, Inc. Communications Coaching, teaching exercises to help you cycle out of fight or flight in the moment. With the mission to create individual harmony to add peace to the world, Kiki Productions, Inc.'s philosophy is, when you are confident, focused, and authentic with your message, you are a magnet to those you wish to attract. Share the love at CoachKiki.com. Our show, as we mentioned, is about mindfulness and all the different ways that we can be mindful. And we are talking about Montessori or or uh, Monta something. If that's if that's the way that you are, you know, basically, here's what I want to get into next. Our guest is Corinne Marquell. Let me say that right away too. Corinne Marquell, the uh, school. What's your head of school? Head of school. I should know this. This is my sister. <laughs> The head of school at Southwest Montessori Academy in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is so not part of the region, but also a central part of the state of Indiana. And um, and you guys have a virtual option as well, right? Um, something obviously you've done for students and uh, you're open to taking students outside of even the state of Indiana, correct? So we did have to uh, get creative uh, last semester. Yeah. When, as we got closer to the school year starting, um, there were so many parents who just did not know what to do. I mean, this was worldwide. Yeah. Parents trying to figure out what they're going to do about their child's education for the coming school year. And, um, you know, we got through the comfort of summer and then realized, oh, you know, the risk of the pandemic is still out there. Yeah. And so, <laughs> we all thought um, it was going away in three weeks. You remember that? <laughs> we were like, it's been three weeks. Let us out. And then we're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yes. So, um, so we did. We did launch a pilot virtual program, and um, some of the families at our school had, who had been with us before just could not imagine leaving our school community that we had developed, yeah. and yet they still wanted to continue their child's education. So we actually had a teacher um, out of uh, near Dayton, Ohio, and uh, she was a teacher at our school, and she's very well qualified. And um, She had been a teacher to... in the past, you're saying, right? Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, she had been yeah. a teacher at our school in the past, and she was uh, primary and elementary trained and has a master's degree in education. And so, uh, you know, it was a perfect fit. And so our families were able to receive uh, materials from the school and be able to have things printed out for them and, you know, continue the education of their child through Zoom sessions with the teacher as well as with the parent. Excellent. Good. Yeah, she's, I'm distracting her because I'm like, why is my phone making sounds when I have it on do not disturb when it's getting through? (laughs) 
Ah, <laughs> oh, tech. Um, so uh, this is going to be fun and distracting for both of us. Okay, so ding, ding, ding. We're going to have all kinds of fun little bells. Let's just take that as a moment to be mindful. Imagine that the bell is ringing if you're someone who does meditation. But if you're driving, don't start meditating. I always have to qualify that. <clears throat> so let's get into now just for a second some ways that, again, this big concept of mindfulness is broken down. One of my favorite things that is taught to two-year-olds in the Montessori classroom and in our house is the silence game. Can you tell the listeners? Yeah. Yeah. It's different than the silence game that parents used to play with their children. Like, I don't know. Yeah. We wait, wait, okay. <laughs> Let's tell that one first. Tell what our dad called the silence <laughs> game. If I, if I can describe it the same way you do. The silence game was usually, I'm kind of tired of hearing you talk yeah. now. We're all going to be quiet. Yeah. Okay, have some silence in my mind, right? Yeah. So uh, it was, it so, was actually a contest with our dad. He would start a stopwatch and he would say, see how long you can go without talking. <laughs> Coming from two, especially. Yeah. Those of, you know, you no wonder he needed that break, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so in Montessori, the purpose of the silence game is to help children develop self-awareness and be still and peaceful with themselves. So it is a practice of self-awareness. It is a practice of appreciating and taking in the environment that you're in. Children, you know, we, it, and of course we use positive discipline at our school. And so it's a way of calming ourselves. And so when you can still your mind, then you can have more clarity. Mm-hmm. And so, in, you know, in the Montessori classroom, we start off, we do have a community time, and we will start off at the beginning of the school year, 30 seconds. And there's usually a few children who even talk through that. Yeah. And, you know, we, I usually use a uh, sand timer. Mm. And so, um, you know, recently, even halfway through the semester now, uh, one classroom had gotten up to a minute and a half. And it's not... Um, it's not done in an oppressive way. Right. You know, it's not like, it's not oh, punishment. Like, you're too loud. We're playing the silence yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> you talked, you're out, you know, yes. It's not, right. It's <laughs> you lost today. Yeah. Right. right. But now, non-competitive, so, and we, right. That's know. the concept. Right. And we can say, of course, now individually, again, you know, there, there may be some teachers who, you know, especially certain moments, right. Where they're like, they're not going to, you know, be so full of equanimity themselves, right? Or parents who are doing this, right? So, um, but the concept that you're saying here, right, that it's that's taught in the curriculum. Um, yeah, sorry. So a lot of things, what I have to. children do is I have them, I, I, I give them the option of closing their eyes. You know, obviously we know that some children with trauma um, or even adults with trauma are not comfortable closing their eyes. Yeah. And so we, we invite them if they want to close their eyes. It's not required. Uh, taking deep breaths, learning how, you know, we also teach belly breathing mm-hmm. in our classroom. So we help them to learn, you know, we can take deep breaths. And then usually when the timer is done, we'll just say, you know, oh, wow, you were silent for 30 seconds. What did you hear? Yeah. And so they sometimes, but I've, I've told them before that, you know, we used to have a, a beta fish in the classroom and I would tell them when there's no children in the classroom and I come in to feed the fish, you know, sometimes on holiday breaks, I can hear the fish crunching its food. Like wow. it's that quiet and fast, you know. So it's strange. <laughs> yeah. The clock. Sometimes yeah. they're never aware of the clock unless it's completely silent. Or maybe they've heard the vent. Maybe they heard the person next to them breathing. Maybe they heard, you know, a child in another classroom, you know, make a sound. And so, and so it's helping them to develop really just self awareness of their environment. Mm-hmm. I love that, and I want to. I want to get back to positive discipline. I'm gonna. Put a pin on it for now because I, that's a whole separate thing that's really pretty amazing at your school. And it's something that, again, parents who have nothing to do with Montessori and don't want anything to do with it can also access and teach and use. Um, uh, so we'll get back to that in a second too. But um, I want to also mention, uh, you talked before about, you know, that this is not an oppressive environment, right? And yeah. um, 
when when you were talking about like this whole idea of like they have the young kids who come in, you know, their first year and then the, the second year they're in the middle, they're learning and teaching and the third year they're teaching the others. And I thought, I'm pretty sure that was like the utopian ideal of like the, you know, English boarding school. And, uh, and then we hear all these stories about like, you know, the, the, what third fifth year whatever you know being the ones who like really like beat up the baby kiddos you know the hazy and all this kind of stuff right and it's like that's you know the idea kind of got muck, you know where there's, <laughs> there's there isn't that sense of like um respect for others you know and so it's just like now you've earned the power you know and <laughs> do whatever you want and so that's that's the opposite of what you're talking about in a montessori classroom right. well, and you you know you mentioned about um oh goodness you said a word now i forgot what you said mm. um Really, though, it, oh, respect, yes. Yes. So it's so Montessori and positive discipline both are founded on the basis of respect. Mm. So, you know, Maria Montessori helped children, you know, when, when she was teaching, even over 100 years ago, to learn how to respect the life that is around us. Mm. And so we talk about how what's respectful to ourselves, what's respectful to others, what's respectful to the environment, to the materials that are non-living, to the things in our environment that are living, like the plants and the animals that we have. Um, and so you know, respect is the key. And of course, especially in a Montessori classroom, you know, it's not about power. It's so the teacher is not, so in a traditional environment, you have this top-down approach. You know, the teacher is at the top and they're disseminating all the information to the students. And in a Montessori classroom, it's more like a triangle. Mm. So the teacher connects the children to the environment and the children are, you know, the environment connects to the children. And so it's, you know, really it is, they learn from each other they learn from the materials. They learn from the teacher. If they're curious, they can feed that curiosity on their own, or the teacher sometimes can help them find, you know, the material that will help feed their curiosity. Um, sometimes it's a teacher's job to be able to connect the child to, like, a certain area of the classroom that they may be avoiding. If a child is avoiding mm, math, right. for whatever reason, they may feel a sense of inadequacy, then we find a way to draw them in, whether it is through a peer that they like they enjoy spending time with. Oh, if I give that peer a lesson in math, in the math area, they may follow that peer in there. Or maybe this child absolutely loves, you know, animals. So you put little animal counters in the math area, or maybe you, right. you, know, you build into that. So you, you know, you can connect the children to the materials if they're, if they seem to be avoiding it. So it's not, it's not a power approach, you know, at all that, that, that power part is not there. Even when it comes to um, the older children and the younger children, we say you are a role model or you are a leader, or you could be a guide for that child and they can learn from you. And they take pride and, you know, a, a sense, it, it gives them a sense of contribution and a, a, you know, a feeling of significance and belonging, which is, there's your connection to positive discipline again. <laughs> That's right, right? So let's get into it then. Tell us what is, po- it's, it's capitalized, positive discipline with a P and a D. And so it's a system. Again, tell us who, tell us about who started the system and um, a little oh, bit about so the background. Another, you know, that's talking what, about Monta something, there, yeah. there's a lot of parenting uh, materials out there that talk about positive parenting or positive sure. parenting solutions. And even the phrase positive discipline, um, you know, is is used a lot, but there is actually, so Jane Nelson and Lynn Lott are the pioneers of the Positive Discipline Association, okay. and um, it is an international organization. Um, it's huge. It's beautiful, because when we get together on um, conference calls, there's usually at least 30 countries represented. It's That's so great. Awesome community. Love it. So um, it is based on the work of Alfred Adler and Rudolf Dreikers, who were um, Austrian uh Psychologist, yes. Okay. And um, and so Darkers was a um, 
what's the word, uh, an understudy, so to speak, mm. of uh, Alfred Adler. And so, so that is, is based on the fact that every person is looking for um, a sense of belonging and significance in the world. And, you know, we all want to contribute. So any kind of misbehavior that you may see in your child is a mistaken way of getting, you know, feeling that sense of belonging and significance. And so um, it's really about looking at the belief behind the behavior and not just trying to modify their behavior. So it's not a behavior modification approach. It is a relationship uh, model. And as a result of that, actually, the Positive Discipline Association has expanded. Now, it's not just about parenting or a teaching discipline. It's also relationships, workplace. There's empowering people in the That's workplace. Great. There's enjoying relationships. So it's it's really a relationship model. And it has, to me, it's just everything that I have always was always missing as a teacher and as a parent. Um, in the last 16 years that I've been doing this. So it's been life-changing for me. It's been a, it's been a godsend. <clears throat> I'm going to, we're going to share resources, of course, at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash tune in mindful radio. We will have the Southwest Montessori Academy website there for and information for Corinne. If you have questions for her. Also, she teaches positive discipline classes. And so, you know, in the future, when she has classes coming up, we'll have some some posts there where you can access that if you're interested in learning more. And then, um, and we'll share other other resources for people that we may or may not have mentioned on the show, such as castle.org, C-A-S-E-L. So it's, um, I can't remember the C and the A part, but it's social emotional learning is the, is the S-E-L part. And, um, it is an organization and it's, it's either center or association or something right at the start. And it's an organization that I believe they also reference and share a lot of positive discipline resources and things that are similar to this and systems and things where um, people can uh, use it in the workplace, in the school, in the home for families, right? Um, in relationships, this type of thing. They started off as being for especially public schools and they are growing as well with tons and tons of resources. So, you know, uh, when we're talking about mindfulness, then we really want to talk about all these ways we can respect ourselves and each other. You have something else to add, Corinne? I'm going to add another resource yeah, to that. Good. Perfect. Uh, especially when it comes to schools. For those who might be educators listening to this, there is a website called sounddiscipline.org mm. and a woman named Jody McVitie, and she has done a lot of work with public schools in connecting positive discipline um, into the public schools. And so you know, there may be some who are listening who are, uh, you know, at the public schools or traditional school systems. Uh, not necessarily in Montessori, that Sound Discipline is a wonderful resource for that. Okay, good. Listeners, you are listening to Tune In Radio for Your Mind, Body, and Soul on WVLP 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, Indiana. Excuse me, streaming around the world at WVLP.org. We also broadcast in a podcast form at anchor.fm slash tune in mindful radio. You can find Tune In, one of the one drop in the ocean of the many mindfulness podcasts out there on any podcasting app or device that you use. So our show is underwritten in part by Unity of Northwest Indiana, currently developing the premier center for spiritual growth and education in NWI with meditation walks and retreat house events. Learn more and support the growing movement at unitynwi.org. And in case you have never listened to our show before and you just don't know what mindfulness is or you've been a listener and you're still scratching your head, well, let's just go ahead and say the quote we love to say every show, which is from Laura Fortgang, an author and life coach who describes it as being mindful means being aware of everything and certain of nothing. What do you think about that, Corinne Markwell? I actually like that. Yes, that's, uh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. 
It is, isn't it? And it's it's one of those, again, the sound of one hand clapping koans. It's like, uh, how can you be what? Uh, I don't get it, right? And then there you are, <laughs> pondering that and in your own little state of mindfulness. So <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so we've been talking about a couple of different disciplines that you are a professional in. One is Montessori education and the other is positive discipline, which is a relationship type of um what would you what would you describe that as a a social emotional relationship yeah. system yeah <laughs> relationship based model of parenting thank you Let me put it that way since we're talking about parenting and yes right and, about parenting mostly not necessarily. yes and you you specifically teach it to educators and parents correct right i am right. i am certified to teach to, uh, both in the classroom and to uh, the parenting Okay. And so, um, so people who may be interested in taking a course with you in the future, because she does do virtual courses to people anywhere. And so, um, those courses are mostly geared toward parents or educators or both. I do have occasionally, uh, educators in there. Um, but mostly parents. Yes. Yeah. Cause it's, it's parenting the positive discipline way, but when you understand the, um, principles and the ideals and you learn some of the tools, it can be applied into the classroom you know, with easy, simple modifications. So let's talk for a second about one of your first lessons from that. And that's the flip your lid hand model. Can you, and this is kind of, it's not going to be as fun for the radio. So we may just go ahead and put a video link, uh, maybe of Corinne doing it, or maybe of Dr. Daniel Siegel. Okay. <laughs> that's her favorite. She's like, no, we'll have the main guy, the head guru do it. Tell us about that. Tell us about um, as best you can on the radio. Can you describe the flip your lid hand model from Dr. Daniel Siegel? So if you can imagine um, taking your thumb across the palm of your hand, uh, with four fingers up, uh, and then, you know, closing your fingers over that thumb so that your thumb is hidden inside your hand. Uh, Dan Siegel describes it as, you know, the brain in the palm of the hand. And, you know, he uses it as a model to describe the, the different parts of your brain and the different functioning of your brain. And in very simple terms for the radio's sake, um, that our midbrain, which is our thumb that is hidden under our fingers here, um, you know, is, is connected to our amygdala which has, you know, that fight, flight, or uh, freeze response. And so you had mentioned about cycling, you know, for Kiki Productions, Inc., um, cycling out of that, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, um, you know, mode is that when you can become aware that your lid is flipped and you're operating from your amygdala, uh, you no longer have access to your prefrontal cortex, which is your way of problem solving, your way of, um, you know, really just uh, approaching a situation with, you know, being completely aware and all in. Uh, instead, if your lid is flipped when your fingers are up and, you know, um, I'm, yeah, I'm she's demoing, she's demoing like, so, so like she has her hand folded over, right? So it's like, it's like, she's like, she's folded her thumb into the middle of her palm. Then she's folded her four fingers and curled them around it. And when her lid is flipped, she's showing that all the fingers go up. Right. And so then the amygdala is exposed. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we talk about mirror neurons as well. Mm, right. If, if you come home from work and, uh, your partner's, you know, just barking at you, it flips your lid and you don't even know why it was flipped. It wasn't flipped before, but you have that mirror neuron uh, going on. And now all of a sudden you both have your lids flipped and you're, you're barking at each other and you should have no idea why, but when one person <laughs> comes out, another person with their lid flipped as parents often do with children or even as teachers uh, and students that um, it, it has an impact on the people around us. But when we become aware that our lid is flipped, we can intentionally mindfully Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do things to help bring our lid back down. And we teach this even to our students. So in the classroom, we demonstrate this activity. When we talk about when your lid is flipped and we let them tell us, my lid is flipped. Yes. Or we have a symbol. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as teachers in the classroom, we can use this nonverbal uh, communication where we might point to a child and kind of, you know. Yes, to each other. <laughs> well, lid is flipped right now. Like, don't, 
don't even yes know, don't try to, to teach because they're not even receiving and resourceful right you know and honestly that and i'll just kind of cycle back uh, quickly that um in trauma-informed teaching this is one thing that, it, that teachers fail to remember that um children with trauma come in, into the classroom with this flipped you know they, they their lids flip very easily yep at times you you know for they easily triggered and so you cannot teach to a child what they're when their lid is flipped and so um but when it comes to you know learning parenting the positive discipline way we do teach this and this is one thing that has really changed me as a person um you know i mm. i i think that before i had children i my lid flipped very easily and uh, my husband used to jokingly say i needed anger management classes yeah and um, honestly, teaching has helped me to learn new skills, but this model of the brain in the palm of the hand has really changed. Yes, because agreed. Like, Ditto. Most, <laughs> to everything you just said. <laughs> just naming the fact that my lid is flipped actually is one step closer to getting back into my thinking brain and not my reacting brain. That's right. And so, um, you know, my daughter can't stand when I talk about my lid being it's like because she she calls it toddler speak she doesn't understand me. right like, right right her mom's a preschool used to be a preschool right. teacher before you were head of school yeah so she's like right, oh, okay right. mom yeah <laughs> go ahead sorry so, uh, but also it's your lid flipped you know yeah but, but sometimes just being able to say my lid is mm-hmm. flipped yeah. and I'm not going to interact with you in a normal way in a respectful way in this moment possibly until I can put yes. my lid back in. So in the classroom, we do have um, a space that we would call it the peace area uh, or, you know, in some classrooms they might call it a calming corner. And we ask a child, is your lid flipped? Or, you know, it looks like your lid is flipped. Would it help yeah. you if you went into that area? Yes. Or what kinds of things to help can you do to help bring your lid back down and get calm again? And if a child hurts another child, you know, both of them have their lids flipped. We can't even figure out what happened until everyone's lids are down. And we, and, and this language sounds so strange. But this is the simple. <laughs> it's very, once you've been doing it, right? It's so, yes. yeah, so but, second nature. Yeah. <laughs> when everyone's lids are down and everyone's yes. back at thinking brain and they're calm again, now we can really talk about what your feelings were, what your unmet needs are, mm. and what do you need to make the situation right again? And how can we move forward and focus on solutions? And that's really where positive discipline comes in is that, um, it's about being kind and firm at the same time and not punitive and right. not permissive either. Right. Being permissive would be like, oh, well, you can hit anybody you want to. I mean, you're angry, right? Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, you broke the puzzle. Well, that's too bad. We'll just buy a new one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, being kind and firm at the same time means being kind to yourself and the people around you and being firm with, you know, and respectful with following through to the needs of the situation. So if a child hurts another child in the classroom, it's, um, you know, you're allowed to feel angry and we can't hurt people. Right. Yeah. And, you know, instead of putting a child in timeout or taking away their recess or, you know, these, all these old, you know, uh, you're now on the red stoplight, you know. Yes. (laughs) Yes. These are your warnings. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not helpful. It's not solutions based. And, you know, we make mistakes every day as human beings Children are no different than adults. And, right. and so when we, we make mistakes, we get to learn from those mistakes. 
and we get to go back and, and fix the mistakes that we made and make it right with the, the people or the environment around us. So this is a really exciting time of life, I think, to be in this place where like phrases like growth mindset and resilience, right? And um, trauma informed, uh, you know, uh, communication, right? And all right. of this, like, I feel like all of that is so helpful to be able to not just go to shaming and blaming as a way to get people to kind of stay in line and have culture survive, but instead be like, look, we have to figure out because we have so many different blurred lines now. It's not just about staying within these lines no matter what. It's about how do I healthily express myself and contribute to a super broad society, right? And so we have to just get, we have to break out of that old shame and blame game and we have to figure out how to respect and honor what may be happening for someone and ask them still to color within the lines you know <laughs> so it's really helpful I I'm so grateful to be able to be in that and and we also want to mention that a lot of public schools have like these these peace corners and things like this right and use they may or may not use the hand model but they but they do use a lot of these tools thanks to castle and positive discipline the other things that you've mentioned and so um so for parents who may be doing e-learning which I don't know how much that's going to happen this this coming year right but um uh maybe it's a thing that stays that's something people have been talking about right so so just in case that's there then it's something that you can still create in your home and even if you're i I don't know i feel like you know we have our calm down spots a lot of times as grown-ups it may be like you know uh the the bathtub the bed the bar right yeah (laughs) Lock on the door that I will come out when I'm ready to come out. That's right, exactly. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know, even if you don't have children, obviously, you know, it's good to be able to take your space. And, you know, one thing you had told me, you were doing um, some work at a a Montessori school in Fort Wayne at one point where um, you had been educated a lot on – the uh, the social emotional um, aspects and the outcomes from living in poverty, and um, how so often there's just solving problems with my fists because I don't have the physical space to retreat and go away. I'm a, you know I'm living with you know two other families of different types, you know, <clears throat> in a three room apartment, perhaps, right. And, um, you know, and, and with all these different children and adults, um, that, you know, we, that either, um, I don't have the luxury of taking space or people just aren't honoring it because they didn't have the luxury, whatever. And so it's, <clears throat> there's even more of like, I'm just going to solve my problems with my fists. Right. And so when you said that, it made a lot of sense to me because, uh, Corinne and I grew up, we, our first several years until I was like 13, <clears throat> we're in one little bedroom with, uh, <laughs> three beds and it was so small we couldn't put a door on it because there was nowhere for the door to open so it had no door it was all of us crammed in I joke to people about like you know I'm in so I'm in my kiddo's fort right now during this recording I, I jokingly call it my she shed now and I'm here in the fort during the recording and I think that there is more open floor space in this little one room kids fort than there was for us to play in in our bedroom and we had each of us had a friend over we literally climbed all over each other we would send Corinne like a monkey go over to the dresser and get to the closet and get the box of Barbies and bring us the kin you know (laughs) she would scramble around and get everything and we all have massive claustrophobia and we all don't like to be in crowds and we're all like it goes back to that bedroom right like it was like and and we're blessed to have had so many things that we've had but also I when that little bit of space and I was like that probably has a lot to do with why you and I and our other sister we just get physically aggressive so fast in our bodies right and we have to get our lids back down and so our husbands were like get some anger management yeah (laughs) So I was going to reference the book, uh, the book that I was given to read, and I'm not a huge reader. I'll be honest with you. I'm I read, I I only read 
um, you know, nonfiction books, and I typically don't finish them. But uh, when I began working at a different Montessori school that was uh, primarily serving a low-income, at-risk population, I was given the book to read A Framework for Understanding Poverty by Ruby Payne. Good book. Great book. I'm sure there's a ton of other books out there. This is just the one book I happen to read. And it, you know, it really, it does paint a a picture of how, um, you know, behavior can be influenced by, um, you know, I mean, of course... Our behavior is influenced by our upbringing. So many things, yeah, right. (laughs) But when you understand the um, components of, you know, poverty, so to speak, then, um, you know, it gives you an understanding of why, um, you know, people who live in poverty do what they do and live their lives the way they do. And, and, um, you know, sometimes within poverty, you know, comes violence and that sort of thing as well. But, you know, and And it's normalized. It can be normalized, right. Yeah. Anybody can have trauma at any. That's right. At any yeah. economic level, that's right. That's right too. So sometimes mm-hmm. it comes more frequently in in, in environments of poverty. So that's that right. Something to be recognized. Yeah, I like that you're saying all of that, and I, and and um, we'll put that book also as a resource on the website. And uh, you you I'm shared sure there's better ones. I'm yeah. sure there's, I shouldn't say right. better. I don't want to compare other ones, yeah, others other, too. Other yes. Ones. Yeah. So yes. Uh, you know, so we encourage you as a listener if you have some that have really informed you and helped you, or you know, if you've written some, just go ahead and share them also, <clears throat> because we love to hear all the resources. We typically do sponsor sponsor a book and um and so the book that I want to say and I say sponsor we typically do like uh tout promote a book on the show like with each episode I really like to do that as as often as possible and and the one that I love that I really want to share today would be um oh now I'm gonna forget the name of it is it children of the universe oh my goodness I think I mentioned it on the show actually before um it is it is a book about the implicit curriculum of um of um oh my I'm totally blanking this is really bad I'm gonna have to think about this for a second and, and say it again um was it uh, Danielle Duffy and yes Duffy? it is what's the name oh yes uh thank yes you. children of the universe cosmic education and the monastery the Elementary. cosmic education thank you and that was yes. the, I was I was blanking on that phrase the cosmic education and so can you tell people what the cosmic education is not probably as well as you would like for me to uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Tell it. <laughs> and then it's something that you probably are more tuned into. I love it. Yeah, I do love it. Yes. So Maria Montessori did talk about um, spiritual preparation um, of the teacher, especially, but also just helping children develop an awareness of you know spirituality. And you know, some people I, I probably should have said this in the very beginning, but some people think that Montessori education is is religious. Mm, um, and it is interesting. Not. I've never actually, heard when that. I, you know, when I first started teaching, they say you work in a monastery. <laughs> That's great. That's hilarious. (laughs) So um, it is not religious, um, but it does, you know, incorporate the idea that because because Montessori education is a whole child education, Mm -hmm. the whole being does include uh, the spiritual component. And so, you know, that and there's so much respect and reverence, right? The silences, finding feeling when you're quiet and you're listening and you're just being present, right? That's what mindfulness is, right? And it's it's that introduction, like you said, where you start to then practice more things. And um, go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, so so really, you know, I think that um, cosmic cosmic education is something that Maria Montessori did in her later years of work, uh, when she really started getting into the elementary education component. Um, I have not personally studied it as in depth, uh, but there, you know, there's a lot out there. It, it's really just that whole, you know, that, that piece that we're all connected in, in so many ways. And, um, you know, 
I mean, I guess you, you, maybe you could share what, what you learned about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that book was very, very helpful. Yeah. And so it talks about, you know, all those, you were mentioning before the different culture studies, right? Like when you're studying, you know, and so when you, when you talk from the sense of just complete, like immediate automatic respect of we are living things on this planet, right? Or this is a non-living thing, but I can still respect it because maybe it was made from organic materials. Maybe it used to be living or maybe, you know, it's doing a service for me, right? Or someone who was living created it and invented it, right? And, and it does help in this way. And you talk about these different outcomes with things and you get a richer, immersive experience, right? It's even more sensorial in this way. <clears throat> and so when people can be fully present, when they let themselves be fully present, then it's so easy to honor the intrinsic discipline of respect for self and others that's part of the Montessori right. curriculum which is well, really you cool mentioned, you mentioned experiential and that's one thing I can elaborate on is that you know uh in the Montessori classroom it is experiential it is hands-on when we talk about other cultures we actually uh, I mean most Montessori schools do this will invite parents of um you know whether they were born or raised you know in a different culture or um have a different religion or you know the things that are obviously non-white Christian, you know. Yeah, right. What we think uh, of as like classic American whatever, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So we do invite them to come into the classroom and give presentations because we believe that children learn about and learn about and respect, learn to respect is what I'm trying to say, um, that diversity in a different way when they experience it and not just read about it. I so. Yes. Yes. But- yeah. Agreed. Okay. That's great. So uh, I want to say one more time to the listeners. Thank you for listening to Tune In Radio for Your Mind, Body, and Soul. I am your host, Keila Parkinson, and you are listening to WVLP 103.1 FM from Valparaiso, Indiana, streaming around the world at WVLP.org. We also are available in podcast form at anchor.fm slash tune in mindful radio. Today's show is underwritten in part by Kiki Productions, Inc., Communications Coaching, teaching exercises to help you cycle out of fight or flight in the moment. With a mission to create individual harmony to add peace to the world, Kiki Productions, Inc.'s philosophy is when you are confident, focused, and authentic with your message, you are a magnet to those you wish to attract. Share the love, learn more, and see if you qualify for coaching at CoachKiki.com. We are talking today with Corinne Marquell, head of school at Southwest Montessori Academy in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is a few hours away from Northwest Indiana and Valpo, um, but also is something as a place that teaches Montessori and positive discipline. These two systems we're talking about of intrinsic respect for self and others and planet and all these good things um, to students all over their place because you do have this virtual option <clears throat> and you have worked with <clears throat> a teacher who was not in your state and so it's it's open right um we just were talking before the break here about uh this concept of this real respect for others and um you said something that struck me because we've been talking you talked about you know cultural differences and honoring those and being able to here's that ding again i think that means we're on the right track right (laughs) cultural differences and um and making sure that you know we're not presenting just like this is how it looks this is the way things are anything else is different like being really really overtly intentionally open to that and trying to do the opposite and for the reason that we believe not just like all are equal you know whatever but like that genuinely everyone is part of this like spiritually connected 
one presence, right? And we want to tune into that one presence. So you and I were talking recently, not on the air, but also talking recently about um, this idea of, um, you know, uh, MLK Day is coming up. And um, my kiddos who are huge milk drinkers, they saw it on the calendar for the first time. My little guy who's just reading was like, milk day? I'm so excited. I was like, it's not milk day. (laughs) So we talked about, he really hadn't heard about Martin Luther King, right? And um, so this was something, you know, we were able to talk about. And uh, so I was saying to my sister here, who is uh, this Montessori educator, that um, we don't, we haven't taught anti-racism by teaching all of the hot button cultural high points we mention them and reference them and relate them to things that maybe are historical or whatever. I have this, and I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, how do I say this, right? Um, but like I have this philosophy of not just being like, oh, some people were, you know, enslaved and isn't that sad for them? And like kind of creating this sense of like pity and inequality because I feel like unfortunately some of our teaching can do that. Yes. And that's not something that falls in line, right? So my kiddos have friends of all kinds from different countries, from, you know, here, from all kinds of backgrounds, from different religions. Like that's something that our family our family had, yes. Yeah. I know different. some of your, you know, some of your uh, children's friends have, uh, children have friends who have different family dynamics as well. Different family dynamics, exactly. Blended families, or you know, <clears throat> like two mommies or two daddies, or you know, a parent who used to be the other gender, like things like this, right? And so, right. Um, we have a we have a cousin who doesn't identify with a gender right now. Like we have, you know, and we talk about this. So, so we, um, so you know, we we these things are, and you and I kind of grew up with this. We had cousins who were adopted. We had, you know, we had yeah. blended families too. We had, um, you know, aunts from different countries, and we had, so. Um, so that was something that was normalized for us, right? And um, it was very normalized for us. And so it's been... Absolutely shaped me as an educator. Yes, right? Yes. How we count those early childhood experiences with um, diversity and culture and, um, you know, sexual preference and all of that. Yes. And it really shaped uh, my work as an adult. I think it helped grow me before I even realized I was ready to grow. And, you know, do you, do you find... I got to ask you this. So here's a question I haven't asked you as, as a grown-up. So as a grown-up, do you find that you're kind of like wait, not everybody believes this way? Like, are you kind of like that? Or you're like, how can you not believe that, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's in, well, I, I think I just look back and have appreciation for the experiences that I was yeah. given and to say that it really has, has shaped me to understand the world differently as an adult. And I'm thankful for that. Yes. And I, I, I think that, um, so I have a tendency to, like right now my mom friends in Northwest Indiana, most, a lot of my mom friends are themselves immigrants. And, um, and I, I feel like, you know, I relate to that because I also am here. I'm not from the region and, um, and people from the region are very specific, right? We call this, this area of Northwest Indiana. This is, I, I'm saying, I keep saying this Northwest Indiana is like the Austin of the Midwest. I'm trying to make it a thing. So <laughs> we're our own little place. We have our own time zone. Like we're just, we're our own little place. I learned that, I learned that in college that if you're from the region, I had to figure out where in the world the region Yeah. Is. Where's the region, right? But it's, it's a specific yeah. segment, um, just underneath of uh, Lake Michigan, um, in, outside of Chicago, we are actually a suburb of Chicago, but we're a suburb of a of a city that's in a whole different state with a whole different set of um, legal right now, gosh, the, the, the state line, you know, there's, there's so many different changes and like, you know, what will happen, you know, what the lockdown status is, whatever. Right. And so we're in our own little weird world and it's very interesting. We do have our own time zone. And so, um, so, so it's interesting. I am not from the region 
uh, originally. And so I relate to women who aren't from the region. And so that could be, you know, just, I have a friend from Michigan and then I have like a lot of mom friends who are immigrants and, um, we don't have family around here. And so you're, you're, you're kind of parenting in this bubble. But what I find that I also relate to them is that they're very like broad and open and accepting of all kinds of people as am I even more than like my mom friends who have been transplanted just from other parts of the state or from the Midwest. And so I kind of relate to them more in that way to some degree. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was a long winded, like <laughs> little thing to talk about. Well, we really want to movement in, um, in education, especially early childhood education, and especially in Montessori education is, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, they, the, the acronym is ABAR, but it's anti-biased, anti-racist education. Mm-hmm. And it is a very important work that every individual needs to do. Yes. Especially if you are educating other people or interacting with people in your, you know, daily life and job. Um, and I think the, you know, um, the events of this past summer has really brought it back to the surface again. It's been there all along. Yeah. And we have a new opportunity to evaluate um, and look at ourselves and what work do we need to do and how does it impact how we tell stories? How do we educate children, um, you know, based on what we know? And, you know, talking about MLK Day, um, actually, there was a re- uh, website that I came across um, and trying to help my, t- my staff prepare is that, um, you know, keep in mind the danger of one story. If we just exactly. talk about MLK and we're not recognizing the work that so many people have done uh, before and after him. And um, we can't just wrap it up and, you know, and say, oh, there, we talked about racism. on you know, Exactly. In January, right. And we need yeah. to talk about it all year long, you know, have diverse books, uh, you know, and, and give children experiences. If you don't live in an area that is um, demographically uh, blended and unique. Yeah. If it's really homogenous in your community, find ways to give your children experiences in other cultures, uh, experiences in different socioeconomic groups. I think that was another advantage. You know, we talked about having ants and, um, you know, yeah. different country, you know, having neighbors that lived in poverty, even though yes. our neighborhood wasn't necessarily in poverty, we mm-hmm. had neighbors who lived in poverty. And um, that gave me a different experience. And so, yeah. You know, being able to have your children interact in different socioeconomic groups, being able to interact in cultures, do things that you wouldn't normally do as a family, that is part of um, raising our children to to be peaceful and integrate mm-hmm. into the world um, in a mindful way. In a mindful way. I know, right? That's so wonderful. We only have a few minutes left, right? But one thing I want to yeah. say really fast, though, is that, like, you know, that's when we, in our household, when we're doing the teaching, yeah. we don't we teach slavery in a very, very broad way that people used to own each other, that some people still try to own other people, that slavery is about hurting someone else and not treating them like a person. We want to talk about that. Just again, we're unfolding this, unpacking this in this very simple way because slavery still exists. You know, there is, um, you know, there's so much um, trafficking. trafficking. Thank you. I'm like, yeah. Give you conversations to talk about as your children. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes. Because that can happen to people that, and it's, that is a form of slavery. That is slavery straight up. Right. And so I don't want to be like, there was this one thing and it's over now. Like, uh, uh, no, thank you. You know, let's talk about what this really is about and how this can and still does happen. And let's also talk about the blight that it's been, whatever, right. Let's talk about it in all its aspects. So, all right. Soapbox over. So, <laughs> yes, Corinne Markwell, thank you so much for being on the show today. In the last couple of minutes, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Or um, also, do you want to let them know where they can find you and Southwest Montessori Academy? 
Yes, actually, I um, our website is southwestmontessoriacademy.org, and we are getting ready to revamp it. So um, I'm in the process of that. Uh, <laughs> really, though, I mean, I, I'm not out there as an individual. I am connected to the school, but I do teach positive discipline as an individual. Uh, the Positive Discipline Association also has other uh, you know, certified teachers that may be in your area uh, that you can connect with, or, you know, there's, there's a wealth of resources out there for that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else, if there's anything else I wanted to add to that. That sounds but, good. Uh, it's been a pleasure <laughs> being on here and thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for doing your own work first and teaching the little humans who are coming up today. I really want to say thank There's you so and namaste for that. Done. There's so <laughs> much work to be done. Well, you know, that's how we're still alive and this is the world. So <laughs> we're grateful for that too. Thank you so much, Corinne Markwell, and we will see you later, meditators.